This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. If you brought a Bible with you, you're welcome uh, to open that uh, to the Old Testament. Uh, if this summer we are looking through a variety of different psalms in the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, it's it's about right in the middle of your Bible. There's 150 of these uh, psalms. These were these were poems, really, uh, that were put to music uh, for the ancient Israelites, um, for the for the Jewish nation. Uh, this would have been this would have been the the songbook, the the hymnal, uh, if you will, for for Jesus. Uh, this is this would have been these would have been cherished, well known, well worn songs uh, for God's people. And uh, if, if you've been around the Christian faith for very long, you're probably at least vaguely familiar with them. Uh, they are just loaded uh, with uh, raw emotions of what it means to be human in the world in light of uh, really what, what God is doing uh, with and through his people. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 67. Uh, there's, no, there's no real method to the madness of the Psalms I've been selecting, just just choosing ones that uh, just honestly I, I want to preach. And so we, uh, if, if you're new to our church, we usually kind of preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But given the nature of our current circumstances and summer, uh, Psalms just lend themselves well to preaching. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 67. Uh, before I read the psalm, uh, let me introduce it. Uh, there's, a, there's a commencement speech uh, that was given. I think it was, was kind of went viral a while back. Um, I didn't read it till recently, but uh, it was given by a man named David Foster Wallace. And uh, it was given in 2005, I believe, uh, to Kenyon College. Uh, and it was, uh, it was just a, a well-known. If you, if you haven't heard about this, you can, you can YouTube it. Uh, it's been put in book format now. It's about 20 minutes. It takes you about 20 minutes to read it or listen to it. And I, uh, I revisited it this week, um, just kind of random looking for, through stuff. And the, the name of the commencement speech is called This is Water. And the way uh, Foster uh, Wallace starts the commencement speech is he gives this kind of anecdotal uh, parable about fish in the in the sea, and it, and it goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing also because he he uh, which by the way he cusses in the commencement speech. So if that's not your your thing, then don't listen to it. But uh, he says he says he starts off the commencement speech by saying. Uh, there's two young fish swimming along in the sea one day, and an, and an old, wiser fish swims by them. And he says, morning, boys. How's the water? And the fish swim by them, and they get a little further down the road, and the, the two young fish look at each other, and they go, what the heck is water? And it's, this, it's just this kind of this parable of, uh, and the whole commencement speech is based on the obvious realities of our lives are sometimes the hardest things for us to see and to talk about. So for fish, you know, water, the, the very environment in which they live is something that they don't even think about. And um, it just got me thinking, um, you know, current COVID times, the world we're living in, and the way the Psalms work, there were Psalms that were given uh, that some commentators would call psalms of reorientation. Like sometimes you just need a this is water moment, right? Like just to reorient you 
into some of the real obvious and stark realities of your existence that you're largely probably ignoring. Um, I think Psalm 67 can be a, a, a this is water moment for us. And here's, I'm just going to do a quick kind of synopsis of the this is water that I think Psalm 67 is going after. Um, the, the, the thing you need reoriented to in your life today, I, I believe, is, is this truth. God is making a people for himself. That, that the, the thread line throughout the narrative, story after story after story contained in our scriptures, is that God is making a people for himself. And if you're, again, if you're new to the Bible, um, thank you for being here. Here's, here's the synopsis that God, um, he, he, he picked one man and his name was Abram. Uh, he he kind of Google earthed in on, he zeroed in on this one man, uh, not based on anything he saw that was good in him. He wasn't influential or powerful or significant. He just chose a man. And, and this is contained in Genesis 12, if you ever want to read it on your own. In Genesis 12, he chose a man and he, he made a promise to a man. And the promise was this. I'm going to make a great name and a great nation out of you. Now, this man was childless, and he had no reason to believe this promise, but he believed the promise. And through this one man, later renamed Abraham, he would become the father, where his name comes from, the father of many nations. From this one man would come Isaac and Jacob. From Jacob would come the 12 sons. From the 12 sons would come Joseph, whom Joseph would take the people to Egypt, whom God would preserve a remnant out of Egypt and take them into the wilderness. He would lead them through the wilderness for 40 years and bring his people into a promised land. He would bless the people in the promised land until they rebelled and they would be exiled. And continuously, fast-forwarding all the way, prophet after prophet, judge after judge, God remained faithful to the promise that he was going to make a great people out of this one man. And, and here's, here's what Psalm 67 has to do with it, and here's what it has to do with your life, is that the reason he's doing this, um, let me back up, not the reason he's doing this, but the implications of him doing this is you can be a part of that. The invitation is not only to belong to the people, but also to do the work of bringing that promise to fruition on earth. Psalm 67. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. By the way, before I read this, I'm not going to read Selah. It just means pause, so it means pause and reflect on what was just said. So I'm just going to pause for a second between those. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, we, we long to hear your voice in the scriptures today. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe? We ask it all in the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, God's blessing. This, this psalm is, is framed by God blessing his people and his people in response blessing him. We kind of use that language of blessing a lot. I, you know, around the, uh, around the table, it's kind of a, a, a common thing, I think, in our, even in our culture. We're not really in the, the Bible belt per se, but to kind of say a blessing before you pray. Like if, if you pray with your kids at all, which, you know, full, full exposure, I, I do very little of that. I need to do more of it. But we, we try to make a pretty regular practice of, of giving thanks and, and prayer at the, at the meals that we sit down at together. And, and, you know, a lot of times we'll let our kids say the prayer, which is like, you know, the cutest, most simple, honest thing you've ever experienced as a dad. But uh, our kids will do that. But on occasion, I'll, I'll pray for us. You know, it's like, we need a dad prayer tonight. It's like been one of those days. Dad's going to pray. But I'll catch myself saying just like phrases that I don't even know what they mean. Uh, one of them for me, and maybe, maybe you've said this a lot, is, uh, God, would you, would you bless this food to our bodies? Right? I don't know. It's like bless this food. Like, I, you know, I, I wonder, like, can God really bless nuggets and mac and cheese? I'm not sure. I think he can. But, but like, kind of this idea, and I think he does, like, hear me on this. Like, I think he does nourish our bodies. Like, I think that's a fine prayer to say. No, no problem there. Like, but, but what does that even mean? Like, to be blessed by food or to, for, for God to bless food, you know? Uh, you know, we're on the heels of July 4th. Uh, so in America, great holiday that we celebrate. And, you know, we'll say things like, you know, God bless America. You know, so we're asking for God to put some sort of anointing or special blessing over a country. And, and I think he does that. And, and I want him to do that. Like, I love our country, and I, I want him to bless our country. But, but like, what does that even mean? Uh, w- the way we will end our worship service uh, this, mor- this morning is, is through an ancient practice. Uh, goes back generations and generations called a benediction. Uh, it's a blessing. And it, it, we always pronounce, we'll always, always leave uh, our worship services with God pronouncing, uh, with the pastor pronouncing a blessing, not, not that anything special in, in me, but God through his servant blessing his people. Like we're sending you out. But like what, I mean, does that just kind of how we close things up, right? You know when Adam says, you know, stand up, raise your hands, you're like, okay, fold up the lawn chairs, it's time to go. But like what does that even mean, that God would bless us? Um, I think, you know, I'm speaking now to 21st century, westernized, pretty well-to-do American people. And in and, and, and my survey of our lives, and, and I'm, I'm in this, guys. I'm not, this is not finger-wagging. Our understanding of ble- God's blessing uh, on our lives uh, largely um, falls under categories like you know, job security, right? Like I've got a good job. Uh, where God provides for our family, um, 
our kids are pretty healthy and happy, you know, doing good things in the world, behaving most of the time. My, you know, 401k is giving me a good return on investment so I can, you know, know that life will be taken care of down the road. Um, You know, maybe I just have some rich relationships or friendships or, you know, fill in the blank, you know, have good vacations. All of that, when those kinds of things happen in our lives, we would say something like, wow, God has really blessed me. Right? Like, I feel blessed. And, I, and I, I want all those things to happen in our lives. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those are bad things. Like, I want all those things to be all over our lives. But is that really what it means to be blessed by God? Um, maybe you can guess. Uh, no. My, my, my suggestion is that that is not inherently at the core of what it means to be blessed by God. And so the question I'm going to pose that I want to just kind of walk this psalm with toward you today is, like, what is God's blessing then in our lives? If it's not those things, right, or things like it, what, what, what does blessing actually look like? And then why does God do it? Like, why does he bless us? Uh, Genesis 12, again, going back to the one man, Abram, makes the promise, and it gives us the answer. He's going to make a great name and a great nation out of this man. And then it concludes, I didn't, didn't quote this earlier, but it says, so that you will be a blessing. In other words, God's people will be blessed in order that they would bless others. So let's, let's just use that language this morning. I'm going to kind of two points uh, for us this morning if you're kind of note takers or looking to logically hang the sermon in your head. We're going to look first at the blessed people. And then we're going to look, secondly, at blessing peoples. And that's not bad grammar uh, for you kids. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the peoples here in a minute. But blessed people and blessed uh, uh, blessing peoples. Uh, if you look at the psalm, verses one in, verse 1 um, is language uh, that was very well known to the original hearer. May the Lord bless us. May he be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. Uh, It comes from the Aaronic blessing. You'll hear it. We use it a lot here. We're going to use it today. Uh, It comes from Numbers chapter 24 or chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. Uh, This was uh, a blessing that God gave to Moses and extended through his uh, brother Aaron to to bless God's people. And I mean, it was... It was what it meant to be Jewish, like to, to, to embrace these words. It's almost like, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, you know, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain un- unalienable rights to, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Like, that's what it means to be American. Well, these words is like what it meant to be Jewish, uh, the ironic blessing that God would bless and keep his people and make his face to shine upon them. I, I just want us to I just want us to catch on to that. That's the big idea behind blessing. That God's face is shining on you. Um, a shining face is a face that is smiling with gladness. Um, God's favor is displayed in the way he looks at you. So if God is smiling over your life, 
your very existence, who you are as a person, that is what it means to be blessed. And God's smile does not automatically translate into tangible material blessings. In fact, there's a, there's a song, it's kind of off the cuff here, but there's a song that says that God's um, providence always, often hides behind a smiling face. Like there's, all, there's, 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 there's a frowning nature to some of the things that happen in our lives where you would say like, if God really loved me, like if he was smiling on me, would that, even, would that really happen? Like how could God let such insurmountable suffering into my life? Or how could, how could God not help me meet the bills and go into debt collection? Or, or, you know, how could my children get sick? Or how, how could I even bury one of my children? Some of you have done. So, like, the smiling favor of God's blessing is not automatically computed into, like, the metrics of our life of, like, things are going well. For the believer and for the Israelite, what it meant to have the favor of God's face on your life was that you would know that he is for you no matter how bad you've been or how bad things are going. Like to have a friend in the thickest, darkest moments of your life is what it meant to be a friend of God is how the Bible would describe Abraham. To have God's favor like that. Now, you know, we're, we're in a world right now that the farthest thing probably from our, from our minds running to is that God's smiling on us. In fact, I want to kind of in the second point talk about how it might seem as though God is smiting us, not smiling on us. But the good news about Christianity um, is that there was another man um, who, who God zeroed in on. He Google earthed in on and he said, listen, I'm going to fulfill this promise that Abraham and all of his descendants couldn't, couldn't keep up with. Like Abraham and his, and his people and, and, and his descendants by nature were unable to hold up their end of the deal. And so God zeroed in on another man, and that man was called to leave his home and his country, just like Abraham was. And God said, listen, here's how they're going to secure my smile. Here's how they're going to get the blessing. You're going to go secure it for them. You're going to do something uh, that will hold up in, the, in my court of law eternally. And, and so this man, his name's Jesus, he comes to earth in, in the form of human flesh. And he comes to secure the blessing of God's people. He lived entirely under God's smile his whole life. And his circumstances would not have told you that. He was largely... Um, you know, a, a kind of a squatter. He was all over the place. He never really had a home. He didn't have a great compensation package in his work. He didn't have a retirement plan. He was kind of a day-by-day guy. But he lived under God's smile, and he knew it. He was the most, what we, what we would call, a, he was a differentiated person. In other words, the, the things that were going on around him, the chaos of the world, uh, he was unfaltering in them. They did, they did not influence him because he knew he had God's smile. And the best news about this man is that he came to secure the blessing, and the only way he could secure the blessing for you who couldn't keep up your end of the deal was by becoming a curse for you. And so what, what we see on, in the death of Jesus on the cross 
is, is Jesus willingly coming under uh, the, the frown of God. The, the way the scriptures say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that he became sin for us. In other words, he took all of the sins of all of his people and experienced all of the curse of God. So that anyone who would believe in him could transfer every wrongdoing, every single thing that should have merited them curse and placed it on his, on his body, on his soul. And by taking the death, by being buried and by raising again bodily from death to resurrection, Jesus secured God's smile over your life for anyone who would trust in him to, to the ends of the earth, which is where we're going to go next. So that's the good news about Christianity, is that Jesus left his father's home to secure the blessing of God in your life. Now, why did he do that? Did he do that just so we can kind of just like belly up to the table of blessing and just, you know, gather as Christians and kind of talk about it until he returns and just kind of just enjoy the blessing a little bit, like, you know, Life is comfortable when life is uncomfortable. Like, okay, I know God's for me. Even if all the things are crazy going on, we just kind of have to hang out until, you know, something happens. Like, is that why he did the blessing? Um, Verse 2 of the psalm tells you why he gives you the blessing. That That your, he's talking to God, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So this is why God blesses you. This is why God is smiling on you if you're believing in his son, Jesus. So that you can know his, make his ways and his power known to the ends of the earth. He's blessed you so you can give that blessing to others. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about blessing um, peoples uh, in verses 3 to 5. There's, there's only a few books or a few quotes from books that have, like, stuck in me over the years. I read a lot of books, or I try to read a lot of books. Uh, my kids say I have a lot of books, but they don't think I read them, which is actually very true. Um, but I, I read a lot of books, and there's only been a few quotes that, like, just, you don't, you just, it just, uh, it just sticks with you. And one of them is, is from a guy named John Piper. Uh, some of, many of you are familiar with him, very popular. He was a former pastor, theologian, uh, writer, author, many books. But in one of his books, maybe his less known popular books, it's called Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, which is kind of taken from this psalm. Uh, he has this the opening quote, I believe it's either in the introduction or chapter one. Uh, he says this, uh, he says that missions is not the goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And what he's getting at there is that, you know, again, if you've been around the church, if you're new to the church, um, you probably don't, you haven't been spoon fed this stuff, so good on you. But if you've been around the church for any amount of years, you've heard about missions. You've heard about like going to strange foreign lands where people have not heard about Jesus in the Bible and, and we're supposed to, you know, go there, either move there or send money there or, or you know, do that kind of stuff. And Piper's kind of premise is like, you know, the, the whole goal of our existence is not just to do missions. The reason we do missions is because worship is non-existent in other places of the world. And, um, and, and that's what the psalmist does here. 
he uses the language of peoples, plural, right? So not person, but peoples. So when, they, when the Bible talks about God's people, singular, that is God's people, those who are believing in him. When it uses the plural language of peoples, that would be anyone who's outside of union with God through belief. So in, in the Old Testament, it was an ethnic Jewish Israelite. It was a chosen people. But so anybody outside of that group was a peoples. And so the psalmist here says, listen, the, the peoples need to praise God. The nations, another language for peoples, need to be glad and sing for joy. Um, and, I, and I just want to, I'm just kind of going to jump because we're trying to be brief this summer because we're outdoors. Um, I'm just going to jump to some application here real quick. And, and this is, and I hope this is kind of this is water moment for us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of do a twofold little application here, and and here's the this is water uh, moment number one. Moment number one of this is water is we are living in the nations. Like we 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 reside in the place the psalmist was talking about. So I, I know. You know, some of us have kind of been fed this idea that we're like a Christian nation and we're supposed to go other places and, you know, this is kind of God's land. Um, you know, bursting bubbles today, uh, that, that that's not what we're seeing or experiencing. We, we are in the nations. And, and so one of the ways my, uh, one of my seminary professors would say it is like, we must reach people that are across the street and across the and around the nation, around the world. So across the street and around the world. Well, I, I think we should go around the world, right? Like we should we should go to Turkey and Sudan and Afghanistan and like all places that need Jesus. And we could I could preach a whole sermon there, but we're just going to talk about across the street. Like we are living in the nations, and so there are peoples in your life that have not experienced God's blessing. They don't know God's favor. They don't feel the warmth of his smile. And so I just want you to start just streaming people in your life. And I'm not just talking generally. Because if everybody's your neighbor, like that means nobody's really your neighbor. I mean, I literally want you to think about your neighbors right now. Your physical neighbors, if you know them. Which my hunch is you probably don't know all of them. Like, there are people who you, you sleep next to in a non-weird way, like, like 40 yards away from. And like, you spend your life next to people that might not know the smile of God. You work with many people that have never felt God's smile on their life. And just, again, just streaming you know, whoever you, you know, walk, power walk the, the neighborhood with or go to the gym with or do jogs or bike riding with or, you know, run through your hobbies. You know, certainly family members. You know, we all, we all have family members who we know have never tasted the blessing of God's favor in their life. And so I just, I just do that not to, like, guilt you because here's what it could sound like. Here's how this sermon could come off. Like, you know, you know all these people who don't know Jesus and you're not telling them about Jesus, so you better get out there and tell them about Jesus because the end of the world's coming and, you know, you didn't do your part. Like, please, hear me. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. 
But what I am saying is what the psalmist is saying. And what the psalmist is saying is that the nations and the peoples should be glad and joyful in God. And, and here's kind of part two of the application is uh, you look at the, the verse, it's, it's, it's shocking. I mean, this, this was jarring to me. Why should they be glad and sing for joy? Verse four, for you, for God, judges the peoples with equity. Judgment is why they should be glad and sing for joy. Uh, again, I, I, I've seen this floating around the internet a little bit. Like this idea that, you know, maybe what we're experiencing right now in the world is, li- is like a form of God's judgment. Right? Like, is this God, like, smiting us for all the things we've done? Like, even some of my pastor friends were, like, passing around this little meme that said, like, whoever needs to go to Nineveh, like, in reference to Jonah, just go already, you know, so this stuff can end. Right? So, like, I mean, and, and here's the thing. Like, c- can God express judgment through, you know, forms of disaster and things? I'm sure he can. I'm not saying he can't. Uh, is he doing that? Um, the, the, the God of the Bible that I see, um, I, I don't think that's what he's doing. The, the, the psalmist says he's, he judges with equity. That word means fairness. Uh, the God of the Bible is eternally kind. There is an endless amount of kindness in him. And, and the premier sign that God gave for people to quote-unquote, repent so that judgment wouldn't come was not natural disasters or viral diseases or racial dissension. The premier sign that God gave to us to look at and say, oh, I ought to repent so judgment doesn't fall on me is Jesus hanging on a cross. And so, again, could God be judging? Maybe. It's in the mind of God. But, But God's premier ultimate way of showing what judgment looks like has already been displayed through a man 2,000 plus years ago. And so, you know, and, and, and here's the thing with judgment. The, the most loving man in the world that has ever existed openly and regularly talked about judgment. He would talk about we- weeping and gnashing of teeth. He would talk about fire burning people. That when he returns, there will be wheat and tares that are gathered, and the tares will be burned. Like, he was very forthright in talking about judgment. And so, again, let me just kind of hone that in and just temper it out. Like, the message is not, you've got friends who don't know God, judgment is coming, you better get to work. But, it, but, it, but in a way, in a very nuanced, loving way, this is the this is water moment. You have friends who are unbelieving, who don't know what it means to feel God's favor, who have never grasped the depths and the weight of what God has done for his people in the work of his son. You have friends like that, and judgment is coming. The the end will come. I'm not speculating. I'm not interested in, like, discerning times, but the this is water moment is judgment is coming. Let me, let me just wrap it up with this. Um, uh, another book I read uh, recently is written in light of the pandemic. is by a guy named N.T. Wright. Anglican Bishop writes just gold. All his stuff is just gold. 
And he wrote a book in response to what we're experiencing. It's called God and the Pandemic. I'd, I'd recommend it to your reading. It's a pretty short read. I think it's less than 100 pages. God and the Pandemic. And um, lots of takeaways from that book. But one thing that, uh, that the author um, put out to, to me as a reader that I had never really explored that was just a light bulb moment for me, just kind of like a, just a shocker was his interpretation of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, you don't have to go there. You're probably familiar with it. Romans 28, 8, verse 28, here's how I have it memorized. It's going to take some time because N.T. Wright kind of messed with me here. But here's Romans eight twenty-eight. You know, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's pretty pretty common terrain for Christians. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Now, here's what N.T. Wright suggested, and there's scholarship behind this and all kinds of things. But he suggested that we read that text like this. God works all things for good together with those who love him. That, that small little rearrangement of together with is a shocker to me. And here's what I want to kind of close in suggestion to you. That the way that God is going to work things right, the way that things are going to come for good, the way that God is going to be ultimately and exclusively the glorious one through all of this that we're experiencing and the entire human you know, experience is together with sad us. come untrue is through the agency of his I, I, people. I, I, it just seems so basic, but like God now that is can be a weighty thing that will f- make you feeling guilty because you're not doing it. But I want it to feel like an invitation today. That if you have tasted to any degree God's smile on your life the design that God has is for you to be the loving presence of his smile in other people's lives, period. That is what will change the world. The message of God's love for the world through his people is how things will work for good. So that's the invitation. The second invitation that I want to close with is I wonder if there's someone here, we've had kind of some new folks, I don't know everybody here, and I know most of us would profess to belong to God, but I wonder if there's somebody here who, who is not a people, who is a people's, who, who has largely disregarded God in their life. Like you've largely kept them on the sidelines or at an arm's length, He's been uncomfortable. You've had maybe poor experiences with Christians or the church. You've been hurt. You're wounded. And you, and you would say, even in, maybe just in your heart today, I'm not a people. I'm peoples. And the invitation for you this morning is to become part of the people. That the Bible makes it very clear that you don't have to jump through hoops You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be actively serving on volunteer teams or giving your money. The Bible says none of that will make you his people. Here's what you must do. You must believe in the Lord Jesus. And you must believe that he has secured God's blessing over your life by becoming a curse for you. 
and that will change your life. And if you'll believe that, you can change others' lives by expressing that good news to them. Let's pray and ask God to help us to respond to those invitations. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalmist. We don't know who it was, uh, but he, ha- he clearly had a heart for, for outsiders, for the orphans, the widows, the exiles. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to rescue people who were not looking for you, to people who had largely ignored you, but they were drawn to you because you smiled at them and they felt the warmth of your presence. And when you were with them, it changed them. So God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would manifest the presence of Jesus' smile in our midst today for those who are with us and for those who are watching and listening online. God, help us to believe that we have the fullness of your blessing and there's nothing we can do to earn it, maintain it, or even lose it. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 